intersectional moment. Hello. Hi, folks. Welcome to I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. It's time for episode 86. It's time for us to scream. It's time for you to listen. Yeah. Sit down and listen. That's all we ask. We ask for so little. We just ask that you subscribe. Listen to us every week for 45 minutes. Subscribe to our podcast, <laughs> rate and review, tweet at us, and agree with everything we say. That's all we ask. I ask a lot more of most of my close friends and family to just yeah. listen to me mindlessly and support me in everything I do. Yeah, absolutely. And if you give us even like a little bit of criticism, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to freak out. That's just all you need to know, and then you can be a fan of this podcast. So welcome, <laughs> followers. So welcome. I'm Sam Buntish. I'm this at- is... Oh, I'm Allie Rayner, you're Sam Buntich. That's us. Yep. That's the two of us. We're 86 episodes in. If this is your first one, weird, but welcome. Yeah, no, I, I, we're glad you started with this one. It's going to be, it's going to be good. I'm excited. So I don't know anything about what you're talking about, Al. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Maria Collis. I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is? No. I'm going to tell you. I'm so excited. What are you talking about? I'm going to talk about women and Star Wars. I don't know who that is. No, I'm not familiar either. <laughs> I'm just going to really talk out of my ass on this one. Um, I'm no, excited about that. Yeah, it'll be good. It's about a couple different things, but I think it will be a, a fun con. And you and I are big Star Wars fans, so at the very least, we'll get to talk about Star Wars. Of course we are. Um, so that'll be a treat. It really will. But we're going to get through some some mid-century sad lady stuff. Oh, no. So let's start Let's there. start. Let's start with that. Absolutely. Um, so a big interest of ours... Has always been, and I would posit will always be, yes. women with garbage lives. Ooh, yeah, love it. It's and I mean, hate one. it. Hate it, but love it. Of course, hate it. But I mean, I mean, what, who are we kidding? She pays the bills. <laughs> it really is a vocation for us. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, so today I'm going to tell you all about Maria Collis. And my guess, and I could be wrong, is that about 20 to 30% of people listening will know who she is. Maybe closer to 20%. I'm she one of the is, 80. She is extremely well known in certain circles and kind of known in others. And if you know anything about opera, you will know who she is. <laughs> she is a she is a very famous opera star. All right, turns out I your. turns out I don't know anything about opera. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could know some things about opera and not, and not know who Maria Collins is. I will say her name sounds vaguely familiar to me as a former theater student. If you think you know anything about opera, you probably should know who she is. So if you're somebody who's like, I think I know something about opera, and you don't know who she is, that's not going to go well for you on, like, Jeopardy. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I've never, and you guys can look back at the last 85 episodes of this podcast, I've never said I know something about opera. I don't think you've ever said that to me, even in private. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, I just want that on the record right now. Don't sue me, estate of Maria Callas. Does she have an estate? Is she dead? Is she living? She's dead. She is dead. I'm like, thank God. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, she died very young. It was very sad. Oh. But, um, well, that's, we'll start there. Right, we're all done. Spoiler, spoiler um, alert. You don't have to recognize her name, basically, to okay. learn all about her life and how objectively terrible it was. So let's, we know she's dead. Let's start with her life. The first time I ever learned about Maria Collis was in theater school when I read a play called Masterclass which is a wonderful play by Terrence McNally, um, which was written, I think, in the Mm mid-90s, I believe. She died in the 60s. No. 70s? I wrote it down later. Mm -hmm. So pay attention. You have to listen to this whole episode to find out which decade she died in. Um, A little teaser. Yeah. uh, It is such like... And that that play, I loved that play. Mm -hmm. It's like this fierce, heartbreaking... I think it's mostly like a one-woman play. And I remember looking... 
this woman up after reading this incredible play and learning all about her life and being like, whew, girl. Um, but regardless of that, you know, I'm going to say a lot of really sad stuff, but her enduring legacy is that she was a great talent of the opera world. She had an incredible God-given gift paired with this amazing work ethic and diva energy in the best ways. So cool. that's, that's, that's her legacy. We're going to delve into why her life was not fun. Yeah. But that's not like the main takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not what the show is about. The show isn't about like lauding the talented women of the past. <laughs> no, unfortunately it's not. It's like when I talked about Gloria Vanderbilt, I was yeah. like, it's a, it, it's an ultimately triumphant story, but boy, is it a road to get there. There's plenty of memoirs about that. Yeah. That's not what we do. Um, so let's get into the bummer. So her tragedy of a life really began before she was even born. Oh, no. Her parents were Greek. That's not a tragedy. That's, <laughs> That's just, fine. It's fine to be Greek. Um, <laughs> but it's great, even. Um, but yeah, uh, the bummer is the fact that her parents hated each other. Um, Yikes. And they were Greek, but that had nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. So yeah, her mother, Lisa, and her father, George, were very poorly matched. So like before she was even like conceived... Her family was, like, kind of a mess. Mm. Um, like, Lisa, her mother, was very artistic and ambitious. And George, who was, like, a pharmacist, was not into life or anything like that. He wasn't a fun person. He sounds like um, a total blast. <clears throat> and right before Maria was born, George moved them all from Greece to New York, which made Lisa like, inconsolably furious at him. She hated that decision. She did not want to leave Greece. She was really angry. Um... And he was also constantly cheating on her, so that's that. Great. Um, and then she ended up cheating on him, so she was like, fair enough, I don't want to have <laughs> sex with you either. They had a daughter, Jackie, who was born first, and then they also had a son named Vasilis, who died at the age of two from viral meningitis, which is Aww. very, very sad. That's obviously very upsetting. But then, um, I think a couple years later, Lisa got pregnant a third time, and she was convinced convinced that she was going to have a boy anecdotally her dad had consulted with an astrologist to find out when they could should conceive a child to make sure it was a boy like they were so obsessed like this is going to be a boy i don't know if that's because of the child that they lost yeah or because of something else yeah (laughs) some general sexism raise a boy to have him be a pharmacist so they could take over the pharmacy they owned i don't know but you can imagine their disappointment when Maria was born, um, except, no, you can't, because who does that? But yeah, like it or lump it, she was born in 1923 in New York. Mm-hmm. Her mom didn't like any part of that. No, she sure didn't. <clears throat> she was furious. In fact, Lisa was so disappointed that it's been said that she didn't even look at the baby oh, for like four days. That's sad. So naturally, marital unrest, abrupt immigration, and a general disdain for your presence in the world is a perfect setting for a super happy childhood. Yeah, it seems like she was really set up for success yeah. there. So this home was tumultuous and very unhappy for Maria. Her mother was extremely critical of pretty much everything she did or didn't do or was and constantly compared her to her older sister, Jackie, who was, like, very beautiful mm-hmm. and, like, sweet. And she, by comparison, was, I guess, neither of those things, at least according to her mom. And her father didn't really like that, and that caused tension between him and Lisa, but he didn't really do anything about it either. Great. Um, The one thing she did do was encourage her daughter um, for her musical talent, which started making itself obvious 
just when she started speaking, like around three. No matter how poor they ever were, Lisa was adamant that Maria received musical education, though not for the reasons that a normal mother might, like love or encouragement. Yeah. She had always wanted a life in show business for herself. Oh, yeah. And saw that dream realized in this sad child, Maria, with a very obviously talented voice. Oh, she's one of those, she's one of those mm-hmm. stage moms. Years later, Maria commented on her childhood, quote, my sister was sl- slim and beautiful and friendly, and my mother always preferred her. I was the ugly duckling, fat and clumsy and unpopular. It is a cruel thing to make a child feel ugly and unwanted. I'll never forgive her for taking my childhood away. During all the years I should have been playing and growing up, I was singing or making money. Interesting. So she was furious for a bunch of reasons. Yeah, so they so they couldn't love her just for her, but they were like, your talent is something, at least. And it's funny because she seemed like she was the special one. She had this in- incredible talent. Yeah. And she was the one who constantly was being put down. Yeah, wasn't good enough. What could fucking Jackie do? I know. The, and then the worst thing it's is not probably Jackie's like, fault. Jackie probably had other stuff going on. She was probably yeah. like, I don't need all your attention, Mom. Exactly. But eventually in 1937, when Maria was a teenager, Lisa divorced George and brought her daughters back with her to Athens. Um, and this was a different but still very unhappy time in Maria's life because Lisa did not have or want a job. Oh. And forced Maria and Jackie to entertain and sing locally in, like, bars and clubs and stuff to support them. They were teenagers at the time. Yikes. Um, also, at this time, the Axis powers had occupied Greece, most of Greece. So you don't, Athens, where they were. It's not the best time to go back. Yeah, they were. And so, on top of that, they, she basically forced them to sing and entertain German and Italian soldiers <laughs> in, like, like cabaret-style, like, bars and stuff like that. Um, so that's very upsetting. And Maria herself always maintained that she never forgave her mother for putting them in those situations, mm-hmm. and she likened them to, like, sex work. She's like, you know, nothing like that ever happened, but I felt, like, violated by yeah. her making me do that, which I totally understand. Yeah. Um, so she's growing up super unhappy with her whole life, (laughs) um, and her musical education is continuing, um, and she ends up under the tutelage of Maria Travella at the Greek National, it says conservatoire. Ooh. I think we'd say conservatory, but it says conservatoire. Um, so so that's what I, that's what I shall say. Let's absolutely lean Um, into that. Uh, and so, yeah, Maria Travella was her teacher, and she later recalled meeting Maria and called her a very plump young girl wearing big glasses. And then she went on to say more kindly... The tone, the tone of the voice was warm, lyrical, intense. It swirled and flared like a flame and filled the air with melodious reverberations like a curion. I don't know what that is. Um, it was by any standards an amazing phenomenon, or rather it was a great talent that needed control, technical training, and strict discipline in order to shine with all its brilliance. So basically what she was saying is, she's fat but talented and I will make her a star. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, that's like one nicer, more nice thing than her mom ever said about Maria. It's very so true. if I was Maria, I'd be it's like, I'll take true. it. Um, and this is something that's going to keep coming up. In her earlier years, her weight and physical appearance come up constantly. Um, like, through her entire career, uh-huh. it is always something, it's always, it's in everything that's written about her. Um, and I guess it's like ballet or like dance or anything classically artistic where it's like extremely cutthroat and therefore very vicious. Um, but it seems like opera hates fat people, which is funny given the cartoonistic impressions of opera singers. Yeah. Don't you think they'd all be fat? Aren't they supposed to be fat? I feel like it's always like, like a plus sized woman with those like Viking horns. Yeah. It's like, maybe I'm plus sized. Maybe I can't model for Victoria's Secret, but I should be able to at least sing opera. I know. Fine. Um, 
But yeah, we're going to talk about that a little more later. But her weight is like a needlessly huge part of her legacy and it's infuriating. Um, but anywho, under Maria Travella's leadership, they discovered that she was not a contralto, as they had originally thought, which is like a, a low but wide range, like Adele is a contralto, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but really a lyric soprano. So they worked hard to improve her skill set. And Maria was by all accounts a tirelessly hardworking student who never slacked, always gave everything she had. And her teachers were like blown away by her. Like anything they taught her, she just picked up immediately. She was wow. just like a savant. Um, and she was trained and ultimately mastered the bel canto style of opera. I don't know anything about music, um, but apparently that has to do with, like, the expressive and emotional tone of the voice as used in opera. Mm. Um, Specific, you know, operas are written in, like, the bel canto style, so those are the kind of operas that she did, um, and her mastery of this particular style is, like, why she's so revered in the music world, in the opera world. Cool. I'll say no no more about that because I really don't know anything (laughs) about it. Um, But one of her later teachers said that she would arrive at the conservatory at 10 a.m., and stay until the last student left, listening to all of them, like, very tuned into what was going on. And when the, the teachers asked why she did this, she said, even the least talented student might be able to teach you something you don't know. Mm. Which I think is a really good attitude. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, it's a great way to think about learning. And I want you to make note of this, because a huge part of Maria Collis's legacy is that she, she was this, like, monstrous, awful diva. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what she was. And she was, like, the Elizabeth Taylor of opera. Yeah, I and love I, that as a yeah. title. <laughs> and I think it's important to understand why that legacy endures and where the evidence is for that. That's all I'll say. Yeah. With conclusions. So she's an amazing student, training in Greece and appearing sometimes in secondary roles at the Greek National Opera. And in 1941, she makes her debut as Beatrice in Boccaccio. And she was, by all accounts, brilliant, even though several local notable sopranos apparently stood in the wings and made fun of her the whole time. <gasps> That's awful. <laughs> that is a nightmare. That is a literal nightmare um, I probably used to have when I was an yeah, actor. Yeah, I'm sure. That's, oh my God. It's, like, horrible. It's, like, they were just so fucking mean. Like, all these, like, Greek and Italian, like, young opera students, like, all the stories of, like, how mean and cruel they would be to her are just, like, unfathomable. Why are mid-century opera singers like 13-year-old mean girls? Jeez. Um, but her first leading role was as Marta in Tosca, which became one of her like signature roles. She played that throughout her life. Cool. Um, and again, rave reviews and more hostility from fellow opera singers. That they were je- they were very they were probably jealous. very jealous. Um, especially because reviews often mentioned that her voice could only be a divine gift from God. Like that wow. was mentioned many times. They're like this can only be a gift from the Lord. Like, it's it's the most beautiful thing we've ever heard. That is hard if you're in, like, an opera with Maria and your reviews are like, you know... She was so good. Anna Sophia did a great job. Maria Callas's voice is a divine gift from heaven. And you're like, yeah. all right, well, fuck my drag. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, so here's an example. German critic Friedrich Herzog said, when Maria Kalariopoulos, that's before she changed it to Callas, I think her family changed it to Callas, um, uh... When Maria's Leonore let her soprano soar out radiantly in the untrammeled jubilation of the duet, she rose to the most sublime heights, where she gave bud, blossom, and fruit to that harmony of sound that also ennobled the art of the prima donna. Wow. Fuck, man. He wants to eat her pussy. He is, like, desperate yes. for it. And you know what? Based on that review, Or he's, like, I the would... best gay German opera reviewer <laughs> ever. Um, he's, like, One of queen. the two. But he's just, he's, like, 
queen. Um, and she was. And that, like, all of the reviews were like that. Yeah. Basically, they were like, this changed my life. I'm quitting everything. Yeah. And just running to follow her. Like, people were obsessed. It was amazing. Yeah. But, like, imagine for Maria also, like, that's what you can read about yourself in the newspaper, which is great. But then, like, you go into the dressing room and everyone's like, what's up, cunt? Like, yeah, exactly. That's some, that's some cognitive dissonance Like, do you want you? another fucking chocolate bar fatty before you go sing Madame Butterfly? Like, uh. it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, so, yeah, this is, like, a really fragile time in her life where she's experienced a lot of, su- a lot of success or at least a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. People are very interested in her, but she's deeply insecure. Like, yeah. there's just, like, a lot going on for her and she never knows who to trust, um, which I'm sure was really, really hard. Um, so there are many, many significant musical events that follow this debut in the United States and Italy, all around the world. However, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'm just going to say that she swiftly became one of the most well-known opera singers in the world, and at the height of her career, she was easily one of the most famous opera singers in history. Wow. Um, and remains to this day that... Um, and that is not to be overlooked, so I'm not trying to, like, glaze over her musical career. Mm-hmm. I just, like, that's not what we're here to talk about. Yes. We're here to talk about um, what made her life shitty and how she didn't deserve it. Um, so we're going to move on. Uh, but I just wanted to say that. Um, so let's swing back around to all those people making fun of her weight, shall we? Oh, good. So there is a whole section of her Wikipedia page dedicated to her weight and her subsequent weight loss. So including a childhood of being told she's fat and ugly and being compared to her older sister during this early period of stardom she was constantly mocked for her weight especially like in the news um so one critic said it was impossible to tell the difference between the legs of the elephants on stage so there were like elephants on stage and those of the ada or aida are there elephants in aida yeah probably I've only ever seen the Tim Rice musical. I don't know. And I haven't even really seen that. I've seen bootlegged YouTube versions. And those of the Aida, of the Aida sung by Maria Callas. So basically, like, we couldn't tell her legs apart from the prop elephants. That's, cool. like, the meanest thing I've ever yeah, heard. I would say... That would I, make me want to throw myself off a bridge. Yeah, I'd say, why don't you go fuck yourself? You don't have to come <laughs> to my fucking show if you don't want to look at my legs. You don't need to hear... What has been described as every fucking other person as a divine gift from God. Yeah. If you're gonna act that way. Yeah, fuck off. Jesus fucking Christ. I hate that person. I hope they're dead. I think they are. They must be just timeline-wise. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Obviously, this is something that is plaguing her every step of her life. This poor woman with the voice of a literal, actual angel and all these imbeciles can think of as her weight. So ultimately, between 1953 and 1954, um, she loses close to 80 pounds. And this proves to fan the flames of discussion around her weight even more. So like now everyone's posting pictures of her skinny, like the duckling becomes the swan and talking about how ugly she was before and how Ugh. beautiful she is now. And like how she's become like the ultimate woman because she's like talented, but also beautiful. Um, and, like, she, a big reason, I think, why she lost all this weight is because, A, she wanted, she, she spoke on the subject a couple of times, actually, Mm -hmm. candidly, and was like, I don't feel like I can move the way I want to move as, you know, I'm an actor, too. Like, I want to be able to move and, and support myself, and it's hard, and I, like, that's one of the reasons I lost weight is because I wanted to feel comfortable in my skin as a performer, which is, which is totally fine. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's totally her right. Um, and I think also she said something about, like, 
my face is too fat and people can't see my expression. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, that went a little <clears throat> less, Maria, but okay. I'm fine with whatever you want to do with your body. But yeah, like, it's just like, it becomes this talking point even more so. Mm-hmm. Which is so unfair because I think, like I said, like, a lot of the reason must have been, like, I, I don't want people to talk about my weight. I want them to talk about my voice yeah. my talent. And now, like, because she lost this insane amount of weight, that's all people wanted to talk about. Yeah. And all people wanted to ask her about. And she's like, do you not, do you know who I am? Yeah. And Maria fucking call us. Yes. Oh, the other thing that I forgot to mention is when she was, before she went through this big weight loss, um, she was, like, on a lunch break with um, one of the composers of an opera she was in. And he was like, um, I think you're eating too much and it's making you fat. And she was like, I really don't think I'm that fat. I think she, she said something along the lines of like, I really don't think I'm that fat. And um, he was like, oh, okay. Like there's a scale over there that we weigh the sets and shit on. Like, let's go put you on it. And everyone like laughed. And like some, like one of the witnesses was like, and then she got really quiet and I think it hurt her feelings. And it's like, it, you think it hurt her feelings? You think it might have? You think it may have? Go that ahead. is some like crazy 70s locker room cheerleader bullshit. Fucking That's like that. some Stephen King bullying shit. Ugh. I don't get it. It's horrible. <laughs> and you know that fucking every man in those operas was like 300 pounds. Exactly. I'm just saying. And every man she was ever like with was like huge and smoking cigars and who gives a shit? But, so, so that happened. So her extreme weight loss and, like, physical transformation mm-hmm. ended up being a huge part of her legacy, mm-hmm. even now. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. Like, yeah. it sucks. Um, it just sucks. Yeah. For so many different reasons. And on top of all that, shortly after this big weight loss, followed a period of vocal decline. And some people posited that this was because of her weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she... So, so there were a lot of reasons to believe that. Um, some people said because, like, physical size or diaphragm or, like, she just didn't have the power anymore. Some people said that she was, like, using her weight for structure and posture. So, like, she was used to a certain posture. And when her body changed, that posture changed with it. So that led to a change in her voice. Um, but then others said she, like, she's just, like, working super fucking hard. Like, she's, like, one of the most famous opera singers in the world. Um, she's leading every opera she's singing and, you know, the parts are incredibly strenuous. Um, but, you know, like it or not, like she just had a period of, af- after that happened, her voice started to noticeably decline mm. into the end of her career. Um, and the saddest option for her vocal decline was expressed by her close friend, Tito Gobi, who said, I don't think anything happened to her voice. I think she only lost confidence. She was at the top of a career that a human being could desire. Um, and she felt an enormous responsibility. She was obliged to give her best every night, and maybe she felt she wasn't able to anymore, and she lost confidence. I think this was the beginning of the end for this career. Oh, God. That's sad. That's so sad. Especially because every review was like, this is the best voice I've ever heard, but she has elephant legs. Like, fuck that. Ugh. I know. I, I can't even with the elephant comment. Um, but yes, speaking of the end of her career, let's talk about the end of her career. So the end of her career, and by that, that I mean maybe, like, the last decade, mm-hmm. um, was plagued by scandal. 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 Tabloid articles, gossip, all about her divadom. Mm. Um, so someone posted a photo of her, I think she was being, like, served with a lawsuit, mm-hmm. and somebody snapped a photo of her being angry about it, and, like, like, a snarl over her face. 
and it was like posted in the tabloids and they called her a tigress and she was just like mad for a minute yeah she was like um, i had one emotion uh in scotland in the edmund fridge festival she was starring in la sonambula um where she said she would do four shows and it was so popular they asked her to do five shows and she said no i'm busy i think she had a party she was like i have a party to go to in venice so i'm gonna go to venice um, and then they just, like, started marking the fish show anyways. Like, you have to do it. Like, we're doing it, and mm-hmm. it's popular. And she was like, literally, no. Like, yeah. I'm busy, and I'm leaving. Like, I don't want to do another show. Um, like, do whatever you want, but I'm not going to be here. So they replaced her and spread a rumor that she, like, left in the middle of her contract. Which she did not. She did not. Um, there was another time where she was sick during a show in Greece and told the director or whoever that she couldn't perform, and they said, no one can double Callis. She was like, great, well, I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> so you shut down the show if you have to. But so she was, she just said she'd do it. And then she left after the first act because she probably was like really embarrassed. And then also maybe she couldn't go on anymore. Yeah, she was so sick. Um, but like the president of Greece was there. So everyone was like, Maria Callas like storms out in like diva rant, like in the middle of a performance for the president. Um, and it was like this huge thing. Um, and then there was also, like, a long-standing feud between her and another soprano at the time. I'm not gonna get too much into this, because I was just like, this is stupid. Um, but, like, apparently, like, they each said a bunch of, like, quippy things about Mm -hmm. each other in newspapers, but by the end of their careers, they were both like, she's great, and we shouldn't be compared to each other. Yeah. So, that's that. We're Um, actually friends. (laughs) We're fine. So, I will end this segment... With Maria's romantic life, which oh, is, no. in typical fashion for her, bad. No. Um, very early in her career, she met uh, Giovanni Meneghini, who was married to her from 1949 until 1959. So during those 10 years, this was before her big... It was A, before her skyrocket into stardom, and also before her big kind of weight transformation, mm-hmm. all the crazy hullabaloo around that. Um, she was very young in her career when they met... So he was also like 20 years her senior. Of course he was. So he was basically like more of a father figure to her, managed her career, um, and apparently by all accounts like loved her very much. Okay. Um, and she him to some degree, but the marriage eventually dissolved as she went from like this very insecure novice to bona fide opera mm-hmm. goddess. Um, so that's that. And there were other men along the way, but eventually in the late 1950s, she made it to her life-defining romance, an affair with Aristotle Onassis. Oh my god! Yep. Um, You know who. She met Ari Onassis while she was still married to Giovanni, and they had a lot in common, uh, like difficult Greek childhoods (laughs) and an unquenchable lust for success. Um, And all who knew her would describe this as her most significant romance. She was hopelessly in love with him no matter how he treated her, which was poorly. Oh, no. Um, in 1968, Maria was devastated when Ari left her for none other, again, some of you are ahead of me, <laughs> than the former first lady, lady, Jackie Kennedy, who became Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Which is just an extra fuck you, because she's famously like a skinny fashion plate. And her name is Jackie, the same <gasps> name as her older skinny sister. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Fuck off. This was a couple years before she died, and many were people were like, this fucking killed her. Oh my this god. This killed her. Yes. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Rumors went, like, swirling around that they had had a secret child who died in infancy. Oh. Or that he had forced her to have an abortion to cover up their affair. Neither of those things were ever substantiated, mm-hmm. but those were out there. 
Um, yes, yeah, so that's bullshit. Her final years were spent in relative isolation in Paris. She and Ari Onassis did see each other occasionally during mm-hmm. Ari's marriage to Jacqueline, where he was famously cheating on her for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't make good decisions either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she died of a heart attack in 1977 at the age of 53. It was the 70s, not the 60s. There you go. So, yeah. Um, so that's a peek into the insanely unfortunate personal life of Maria Callas. And as we know, when women are graced with strength and talent, the Lord sees fit to cut them down violently. We don't know why. Um, but she was an incredible woman with this shit hand dealt to her. Mm -hmm. Um, but she was, she was not content with just being an amazing natural talent. She took her talent and knew it was nothing if it wasn't coupled with an incredible just like otherworldly work ethic and her work ethic and commitment to her craft was as much of a god-given talent as her voice yeah um and that that's her legacy um and yeah i mean we stand a queen or to use the name given to her by her adoring fans we stand la divina that's what they called her la divina yeah so divine talent yes that's maria Callas. wow um She's, may she, may she rest in more happiness than she got. Um, but yeah, she's a a really singular historic figure. So she's, I, I, now we all know. Yeah, now Now I'm going to Google the hell out of her later. That's so Um, interesting. Her whole life. She had a lot of like very sassy quotes. Like she was just like a cool, interesting. Yeah. Fun, funny, and de- like there were plenty of stories of her being kind of a diva. Like mm-hmm. I think she had plenty of Mariah Carey moments. Like yeah. she definitely was a diva, like Madonna, Britney Spears. Like you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. who she was. But she was insanely talented, and that's part of the fun, right? Absolutely, of course it is. Oh my god! So yeah, wow, it's fun, right? I mean, not so fun. Not fun for her, but fun for me to learn about in hindsight. So exactly. thank you, exactly. So thank you for that, Allison. We're going to talk about Padme Amidala now? A little bit, yeah. Let's talk. All (laughs) right, let's talk about some women and some some wars in the stars. Let's do it. So thanks to your Disney Plus account, Allison, I have been watching The Mandalorian. Um, I've gotten up to episode three, and I really like it. But when I watched the third episode, a thought occurred to me, and the thought was this. Where are all the women in The Mandalorian? So like, as of episode three, which is all I've seen... Exactly one woman has had a speaking part. Fuck. I didn't even think about this till you mentioned it. Yeah. She is a Mandalorian who makes armor. That's very cool. She was very cool. She has a scene in episode one. She has a scene in episode three. I guess we don't know if the Yoda baby is gendered. That's true. We don't know the gender. Slight uh, spoiler warning for the Mandalorian. We're going to refer to a character known as Baby Yoda. I won't go into it's it. It's not what it sounds like. It's fine. <laughs> Just, you should watch it. You should watch it. I to tell you. Get Disney+. Plus. But yeah, I, it like came to me like a lightning bolt all of a sudden as I was watching <laughs> episode three. I was like, because that lady was back and I was like thrilled to see her. But I was like, oh, she's the only woman in the show so far. I haven't seen any other There's ones. been no other woman in space. So why aren't there any women? Now, it's not like the Mandalorian is the only character on the show, right? There's plenty of people around. Mm-hmm. Just no women. Uh, or uh, women creatures. Yeah. According to IMDb, actress uh, Gina Carano is going to show up for three episodes playing a character called Cara Dune. So, I mean, great. Looking forward to it. 
Natalia Tina, who is Tonks from Harry Potter, is supposed to show up at some point. Oh, I saw her at a play in a play in London and it rocked my world. She's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, looking forward to it. Um, and also, this is great. Uh, Deborah Chow, a woman. Uh, <laughs> known woman. No, <laughs> confirmed woman, Deborah Chow. Actually, I don't know. But Deborah Chow, who seems to be a woman, uh, directed episode three of the Mandalorian I did, that yeah, just came I saw out. that, that there was a female director. And she is the first female director to ever direct a live-action Star Wars property. That's too bad. Which, it's been a minute. Wow, you guys. But, I mean, great. That's great. Yeah. But, like, that's still so few women. Yes, it is. Why aren't there any women on this show? That, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Especially given Star Wars is, like, new branding. Yeah, and I mean, so the one other woman the I haven't they mentioned at least look like they're trying is like a couple times the Mandalorian thinks about his mom. That's the only other woman. She doesn't have any lines. She's killed like immediately. Yeah. I'm, again, spoilers. I'm sorry. You gotta watch the Mandalorian. <laughs> so it made me think about Star Wars and how, in general, it might have a little bit of a woman problem. A little uh, bit of the, the Hobbit problem. So I went and I did some math. Uh, I went deep into IMDb. Ooh. So in A New Hope. The first Star Wars movie, episode four. We stand. There are two women with names. Wow. There is Leia, who I love. And a feminist icon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is Aunt Beru, Luke's aunt, who dies. <laughs> For a second I was like, who? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, famously dead. Right. Famously dead yes, right at the no, end. I, re- I remember. Of that. So that's it. So that's all the women we get. you get in A New Hope. Two so far. Good. Then, in Empire Strikes Back... I do think Leia is the only woman with a speaking role Good. in that movie. And then Return of the Jedi uh, has a couple more women. It's got Mon Mothma. It's got a Twi'lek dancer. Her name is Ula. And it's got a character um, who is not named, which is really what I'm counting, but she's credited only as Fat Dancer, to which I was like, what a mood. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you had to throw that in. Um, also, I think one of the Ewoks is maybe a girl. We're really just scraping with bloody fingernails at the bottom of the barrel here, though. And that's the whole original trilogy, Al. Right. So that's like, what, five? Four? (laughs) Five? Maybe five. If you count Fat Dancer. I count, hold me closer, Fat Dancer. (laughs) Maria Callis turning in her grave. Um, So I have never thought about that before, but what the fuck? That's fucking crazy. But I I don't, I'm not surprised. But like, why aren't 50% of the people in space women? Yes, agreed. You, you would think there'd be a few more in there. There would be maybe a few more. Um, the prequels, there may be better. Um, in The Phantom Menace, we get Padme, lover. Oh, I loved Padme. Everybody hates Padme. I loved her. I dressed up as her for Halloween one year. Hell yeah. We get Shmi Skywalker, who is right. Anakin's mom. Right. Um, and she then gets fridged, though. She gets fridged in number if two. If you don't know what that is, listen to or watch <laughs> Anita Sarkeesian's YouTube videos. Amen. Um, we get Padme's bodyguards. Uh, they don't do too much, but they are absolutely there. One of them dies and speaks. One of them dies and speaks. I, d- I think she dies and speaks in that second one. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. But they're there. That's women. There is one lady pilot who is credited as, I think, fighter pilot number three. <laughs> what she's just credited as lady pilot. There's <laughs> only the one, so you'll be able to pick her out. Uh, and in Phantom Menace, that's what we got. Moving on to Attack of the Clones. It's a little better, especially for background women. Padme. Shmi dies in this one, but she does appear. Padme's bodyguards, many of them return. There's a new Naboo queen. Um, there's a character named Zam Wessel, who is a bounty hunter. 
she seems cool. She dies immediately. I forget her, yeah. Um, she dies immediately. Right. But she was a woman while she lived. <laughs> For a minute. <laughs> and guess who rolls in? Young Aunt Beru. We've got young Aunt Beru oh, in this yeah. movie. Before she dies. She's here. There's a lady named Madame Jocasta New. Okay. And um, she is in the scene where Obi-Wan goes, I'm looking for a planet called Kamino. And Madame Jocasta New, I guess, is the person who goes, we don't have that on record. And that's, so that's her. She was helpful. She's helping Obi-Wan. A few younglings, Jedi younglings, they're girls. Um, a new record for women is what I'm saying. Great. <laughs> that's a record number of women in a Star Wars movie. Uh, and then uh, we're starting to chisel at the glass ceiling of Star Wars. <laughs> and then in Revenge of the Sith, some of Padme's family are at her funeral. They're all technically named. Uh, you, they don't speak, and we don't hear their names. Why would they? But they're there. Um, there was a le- lady Jedi named Ayla, and she dies during Order sixty six. But she's there right, right before her death. Right. Oh, I remember her when she's like leading them through the forest. Or yeah. Uh, there's a new Queen of Naboo. There's also Mrs. Organa, Leia's adopted mom. Oh, right, Leia's adopted mom. Who is credited as, like, Queen of Alderaan, so that's fun. But I thought if I said Queen of Alderaan, you wouldn't, it's Mrs. Organa. Um, And for the first six Star Wars movies, that's all the women we get. So that's, like, what, 12 max? (laughs) And so many of them are, like, Padme's bodyguards who all look exactly like Padme. And don't speak. And mostly don't speak. But they all have names, so I'm counting them. If you have a name, I'm counting you in this. Um, here's what I'm saying, right? I could just name all the women in the first six Star Wars movies. It was just very possible for me to do that. Yeah, it didn't, if you had done the men, it would have taken, like, hours. Exactly. Like, looking at the IMDb page, here's how every Star Wars IMDb page looks, except for this new series. Man, man, woman. About five more men. Here's another woman. About three more men. A surprise woman I forgot was in the movie. Men. So, like, the first three are... And men probably done, like, 20 or 30. Yeah. So the first three, it's always Luke, Han, Leia. And the second three, it's always Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme. Right. Right. And then, like, let's have um, what I'd like to trademark as an intersectional moment. Okay. And talk about the fact that um, other than Lando Calrissian and Mace Windu, that's all the people of color we got. Yeah. Worse. Much worse. So if you're a woman of color... You are at a, a solid zero, my friend. Who even are you in space? There's <laughs> you none of you. You don't live in space. You don't exist there. Um, and that's a bummer. So, like, why is this? And why are the majority of them princesses slash queens or moms? That's something to think about. When I went through and named, it was like Princess Leia, Aunt Beru. I guess it's, it's <laughs> like um, the Madonna whore clomp- complex. Yeah. I guess I'd rather have, like, a princess mom complex. <laughs> the princess mom complex. Yeah. The Princess Gotta Mom pick one. by S. Morgenstern, <laughs> chapter one. So, but, like, what I'm saying is we're in space. <laughs> right. Why are there only 12 women in space, All of space over 30, a 30 year period of time? Yeah. Like, maybe there's only one woman in space year one, but I would think there'd be at least quite a few more. Yeah, and two black people and, like, no woman of color. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a problem. Now... I'd like to lay down that I'm not saying these movies are bad. I obviously love Star Wars. This is the second time we're talking about it on this podcast. Everyone loves Star Wars. I'm saying it's fucking weird. There are no women in space. Yeah, it just seems like it's that's insane. That's an insane thing. And it is even weirder that us, two feminist SJW cucks, 
took three <laughs> episodes of The Mandalorian to realize to there even are no notice. fucking women in there. We to didn't notice. even notice. We didn't even think about it. Like, if I was there too were, excited about Baby Yoda. If there were three episodes of <clears throat> The Mandalorian and there was only one man. That would be fucking, you're so right. Everyone would be talking That'd about be it. fucking For insane. good or for bad. People yeah. would have mixed opinions. Yeah. But if there were three episodes of The Mandalorian out and only one man had a speaking role in it. Everybody would have known. Everyone would have commented episode one. That's so weird that only one man spoke in this episode. And then episode two came out and they would have been like, this is misandry. Yeah. And now episode three, they would have been like, I'm burning you. The nerve bros would have burned the streets to the ground. Yeah. They would have used their untouched boxed action (laughs) figures for kindling. Yes, absolutely. So I just wanted to talk about this. And then this brings us to the new Star Wars trilogy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So in the Fo- Fo- Force Awakens, we get eleven named women. Amazing. There's <laughs> Rey, Princess Leia's back. We got Maz Kanata, a wise alien lady. We got Jess the pilot. We got Bazine the spy. We got Captain Phasma, the stormtrooper. We got Cadel, the resistance captain. And the majority of the women I just named have two lines. But I'm thrilled that they are there. But there's like a, a lot of them also are integral to changing the plot. Yes, integral to that. And they just there's women around. Like if you, if you pan through a scene, there's women in there doing stuff. You just see them. Also, like they don't have to talk. Is, I like, just see them with my a, eyes. In a rebellion, everyone has to work. It's like it's like World War II and Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> it's like everyone has to pitch in because you don't. It's it's not like the men go to war and the women stay at home. It's a rebellion. Like yeah. everyone's banded together and everyone is working towards this common goal. And it was that way in the original trilogy too. Um, you know, in, in four to six. So like, that always made sense for there to be women around and working. But they never were. But they never were. But they never were. And why does all of space have the same gender divides as Earth? That's true. Why do all the alien nations, it's like, but we only send the men to the resistance. Why? That doesn't make sense culturally. Why do all alien races have genders? Yep. That's true. Give me the neen nubs and they're all gender fluid. You know what I mean? I would like that. Give me whatever Jar Jar Binks is, but like they're all LGBTQ. Yep. Come on. We're in space. We're in space. It's, yeah. <laughs> You're in space. It's a space opera. Also, it's like the idea that the gender binary would exist among <laughs> aliens is so nonsensical. I know. Like, it, uh, uh. uh. So, some people on the internet are not like you and I. And they think oh, I know what you're going to talk about. The women in Star Wars are bad. It's not normal for them to be there. And Rey should not be that good with the Force first try. Um, what I would say to them is Baby Yoda just stopped a rhinoceros and he's a baby. But whatever. And Anakin, the most <laughs> annoying child actor in the world, who actually, now that I think about it, is a really good child version of... Um, What's his name? Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen, because he's also a bad. Yeah, it makes actor. a lot of sense when you think about it um, that way. But like nobody was like, he shouldn't be good at things. Yeah, he could drive. He, he was could. like five years old. He, he was, was older than that. Winning old pod races. Ten. Like ten. Cause, Driving. Because Padme was like fifteen, and then when they aged them both up, they and were they like, tried to not make it weird. It's not weird that she looks the same, but he's a different actor. It was odd. They should have just recast both actors. Anyways, this feeling amongst fans that women was, were the problem, only grew when in The Last Jedi it was announced there would be a new character by the name of Rose Tico, played by Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, and Kelly Marie Tran is a woman of color. I believe she's Vietnamese. 
and her character is a resistance fighter who goes on a ultimately failed mission with Finn. She comes to see him as a person instead of just like kind of a hero. She saves him from pointlessly sacrificing himself for the cause. And she kind of exemplifies this theme that the resistance has to live another day because they're fighting for what they love, not against what they hate. Yeah, she's a great character. Fans hated Kelly Marie Tran Mm -hmm. and Rose Tago. Kelly Marie Tran literally had to delete all of her social media because of the harassment, which Daisy Ridley also did, which I didn't even realize. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But she has also deleted all of hers. That's fucked up. And notably, John Boyega, who is in all the same scenes with Kelly Marie Tran, did not have to delete his. Oscar Isaac didn't have to delete his. Adam Driver certainly has not had to delete his, although I think he's not on social media to begin with. Yeah, um, which just doesn't seem like his style. Just even sexier of him. God, I'm attracted to him. And some fans are so serious about women in Star Wars that they literally, like, are saying to the women, like, I hate your character in Star Wars. And I would just like to clear, again, let's talk. Let's, let's clarify. Talk about this. Do I think disliking the Canto Bite sequence in The Last Jedi makes you a sexist racist? No. <laughs> Might. I think Might. you didn't like a scene in the movie. I think maybe you missed its resonance to the overall theme of failure and growth, but it's also a C-plot in a Star Wars movie, so if you didn't love it, that's fine. But plenty of bad things in Star Wars. That's so true. But if you didn't love it, so you go on Kelly Marie Tran's Instagram and you tell her Rose is a worthless character and she's a a bitch, uh, and then you say shit like Ching Chong, like, fucked up shit. Racist A million people did. That's fucked up and you're fucked up. Yeah. That's, I think, a pretty clear line right there. Yeah. Then you're a racist piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people did that. So many that, again, she deleted her Instagram. um, And she said about doing this, quote, It wasn't their words. It was that I started to believe them. Their words seemed to confirm what growing up as a woman and a person of color already taught me. That I belonged in margins and spaces, valid only as a minor character in the lives and stories. That fucking sucks. Yeah. That fucking sucks. And the fact that these people feel such, like, ownership over womanless Star Wars that they think they can tweet directly at the actress to say, you are a worthless bitch, is really fucking fucked up. Yeah. Why would you do that? Makes me so mad. And that's just the actresses. God forbid you are a female critic who expresses a Star Wars opinion. Yeah. After the first episode of The Mandalorian came out, our old friend, Anita Sarkeesian. Who I just mentioned. Yes. Um, tweeted, uh, and she tweeted, quote, Am I extremely tired, or was there not a single female-speaking character in the first episode of Hashtag Mandalorian? I gotta have missed something, right? Now, Anita Sarkeesian did miss something. There is one woman who speaks in the episode. <laughs> she missed the one. But she was immediately dogpiled by all of these men on Twitter shouting about how stupid she was, how she couldn't just let people enjoy anything, and how the main star of the current trilogy is a woman. So what is she complaining about? Now, I don't really follow the logic of because there is an important woman in the movies, there does not have to be any woman at all in the entire TV show. Uh, But I loved the comment that Anita gave on this to Insider. Quote, It's ironic. Women, especially feminists, get accused of being emotional and angry, and all of these things, when all I said was, hey, I noticed this thing, and it's kind of a problem, and I think it's really bad for our society. If they didn't reply to it, my tweet would have just been gone. They made it a much bigger deal. Yeah. And it's just, like, so dumb. Another critic 
who didn't want to give her name to Insider because she is trying to distance herself from this situation. Oh my god. Tweeted about the lack of women in The Mandalorian, and she was spammed with hate, of course, and someone went as far as to go to her, like, professional website and comment, quote, um, and this person says some shitty stuff that I'm about to say, so I'm quoting. People like you don't deserve a fucking opinion, but at least I'm glad you can voice it. Doesn't prevent me from calling you a fucking re- from calling you fucking retarded for spouting your misandry. How does it fucking feel, cunt? I hope you expire and never have children. Yeah, like, imagine somebody reacting that way to Hayden Christensen's shitty performance. <laughs> That's not happening. No. The anger. The anger. Because it's, it's not the... It's not the distaste. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not about whether you liked it or not. It's the fury yeah. behind it. And what this woman then said was, quote, I had to put everything on private for my own mental health. I just had to shut down my profile. I will never, ever, ever tweet about Star Wars again. And I love Baby Yoda so much. <laughs> but I can't. They won. Life's too short for me to fight this fight. Yeah. That fucking sucks. They're attacking anyone who disagrees with them about there being one woman in three episodes of The Mandalorian. They spread these lists of SJWs commenting on, you know, Star Wars. The women stop commenting because it's a fucking nightmare. And then it's like, what do they want? Do they just want recuts of The Last Jedi where there are no women so it's only 46 minutes? A thing someone did. (laughs) Oh my god. Do they just want more Solo? Solo is fine, I guess, but is that all they want? I heard Solo was bad. You said it was middling. I found it middling. I found it perfect for Netflixing on an afternoon I had free. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I didn't need to see it in theaters, but when I saw it, I was like, ah. Oh. That's about right. The best part is Donald Glover. When he's in the movie, it's fun. I love him. And when he leaves the movie, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like um the new Aladdin movie. Yeah. The live action Aladdin. Best part's Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith was really funny, and I was really excited for the jokes he was going to tell. I was very excited for when he was going to interact with Nassim Pedrad, who was yes. also funny. Love her. Um, but I still maintain that they didn't let her be as funny as she is. She could have been much funnier. She knew how to be funnier, and yeah. they wouldn't give her the freedom. I bet there's a blooper reel that's her saying really funny Really funny, funny stuff, and they just didn't write her the lines. Yeah. Like, she wasn't allowed to improvise, but Will mm-hmm. Smith was. Getting very off track here. Yes. Similar vibe. No, same energy. Same, <laughs> same energy. energy. So... Here's what I'm saying, right? I love Star Wars. When I say there should be more women in the first three episodes of The Mandalorian, I'm not saying it is bad. I'm not saying it is inherently sexist. I'm not saying every single character in the show needs to be a woman. I'm saying maybe the guy who's working with Werner Herzog should be a woman. Maybe the little alien dude who helps The Mandalorian get to the outpost should be a woman. Then the rest can stay dudes. Is that fine? (laughs) Can we just do that? Can we just do that? Then we have three women speaking in The Mandalorian's first three episodes. And I think you made a good point, like, earlier when you were quoting, like, people on Twitter who are angrily like, just let people enjoy things. It's like, we do enjoy it. I'm actively enjoying it. We enjoy it, and part of the reason that people love Star Wars so much is because you can talk about it for hours. That's what we do. Like, when we like something, we nerd out about it, and we talk to each other about it, and we talk about the things we like, and we talk about the things we don't like. Like, that's the fun of having friends and watching media together like that's great like that's a great thing and like part of that is criticizing something and the great part there's a lot of not good parts about social media but a cool thing about social media is that people can get their smaller kind of interests and criticisms and thoughts about media out there and it snowballs 
Sometimes in a good way, sometimes yeah. in a horrific way. But Unfortunately. like, there is this kind of ability to bring into this community atmosphere, like, hey, what about this? Like, hey, are we thinking about this? And and not just leave it all up to whoever's in control of making the media. Mm-hmm. Which again, we know who's in charge. Like, John Favreau's a white dude. I like him. Yeah, <laughs> he does cool stuff. Um, I like the live action Jungle Book. But like, that's who's leading the ship, and it's it's good that. People with other opinions can say, here's my perspective. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's how I'm taking it in. Because we're all the audience. Yeah. They should, they're serving all of us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, just uh, the final word on what you said of just like, if there was one dude in three episodes of The Mandalorian, that would be fucking bananas. Yeah. That would be fucking world altering everyone would be talking about episode one it would be like y2k like all the computers would be shutting down and the grid would go down because people would be leaving their posts like it would be it would be fucking pandemonium armageddon yeah if that happened without any commentary and without like eight months of lead up like we're doing an all-woman star wars (laughs) thing and changing the world like as if like fuck it it's 2019 like I just can't anymore with this. Yeah, and it's like... You're doing a really good job of being, like, super measured and, like, very reasonable. And I'm just like, this is bullshit. I know. But it's like, so The Mandalorian, I've only seen three episodes, right? Maybe Cara Dune's about to come in. There's a thousand women that she works with. She French kisses a non-binary person and then kills somebody. Love it. That'd be great. I would love that, and I think it would be really fun. It doesn't erase the fact that in the first three episodes of this show, there was one woman who spoke. It just doesn't. So I'm allowed to say, that really fucking bums me out. Yep. I'm still watching it. I still like the show overall. But that really fucking bums me out. And if you're having that feeling, it's probably a feeling that's being mirrored by a lot of women. And then by also a lot of other people who aren't seeing themselves reflected in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Which is every fucking other person. <laughs> yeah. I can think of one person of color in The Mandalorian, and it's The Mandalorian, and he wears a mask the whole time. Yep. So, I don't even know if he's a person of color, or just his actor is. I think of another guy who betrays him. <laughs> Maybe one <laughs> Again, of that's, oh, a, yes, major, yes, that's yes. a major spoiler for The Mandalorian. Carl Weathers. We already said spoilers for The Mandalorian, so you can't get mad it. about that one. He was great. He, he was, was a great character. He was, a good, he was good at it. But there we go. We've got two people of color in this. Oh, good. Yep. But yeah, My it's God. just, and, and you know that if that happened, like, you know that if on the 4th, 5th, 6th, like, they started incorporating more women with speaking roles and people of color, they'd come in, like, They can't oh, do less. like, you know, like, like, oh, why do they have to, like, shove all this, like, SJW stuff in our faces? Like, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's, that's what you get if yeah. you do it. But, like, I've seen so many people saying, like, finally a good Star Wars show. Like, the whole fandom can agree that this is good, whereas, like, the last movies, everyone's been really divided about whether it's good or not. Finally, we can go back to what we know is good, which is white men talking to each other. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I just... <laughs> or even if they're people of color, we don't have to see their face. Yeah. <laughs> so which just, is a crime. He's so beautiful. He's so handsome. He's so handsome. Let us look at him. And I know that's the thing about the Mandalorians is they don't think they'll har- their helmets off, but, like, I think it's probably going to be a thing, like... When he's like breaking, he's becoming an individual. And yeah. You just see him, he's all sexy and sweaty. His hair's sweaty, but not in a gross way, yeah. like in a hot way. All I'm saying is he's a father now. Mm. And like babies need to imprint on their caregivers. That's right. Right? It's going to be hard for a baby to imprint on just like a helmet. So we better take it off. You're talking about Baby Yoda, right? Pick up the baby and fucking play with him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and he's not wearing the helmet and he's smiling at it and the baby's smiling back. That's all us 
SJW cunts are asking for. Yeah. Let Pedro Pascal hold this baby and smile at it. Yeah, as a woman, I And maybe there's a couple women in the show, too! (laughs) As a woman, I want there to be equality for the sexes and for all peoples in the Star Wars franchise, but as a woman, (laughs) I would like to see some, some hotness on my screen from The Mandalorian. Maybe they just pan and, like... A woman happens to be there. Maybe it's just Pam. Maybe Maybe everyone's Pam. Maybe there's a woman named Pam. And she can be in the show. She's a secretary for someone. That's fine even. I I would take that in The Mandalorian. Anyways, you guys. Well, show us what you got, Jon Favreau. We've given you our warning. (laughs) Yeah, you're on, you're on. uh, You're on notice. You're on notice, Jon Favreau. This is very, very important conversation to start. Thank you for starting it, Sam. Thank you for talking to me about it, because um, I ever since I realized there's only one fucking woman in this show, it's really bummed me out. Yeah, this is the great thing about having this platform, um, modest as it is, is that usually we would just have this very, very <laughs> excitable conversation in our living room and be like, who can we tell about this? Yes. Um, you. We're telling you about it. We're telling you guys. And you, like the flames of Gondor, mm. bring it to your brethren. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening to us scream about both historical figures and Star Wars. A, a galaxy far, far away long, long ago. <laughs> we, we don't have anything else for you. We don't We're have much out. else for you this week. We hope you guys have a really good time. It's the beginning of the holiday season, so fuck that up. Yeah. If you're having a hard time, that's fine. That's relatable. It's horrifying at the holidays sometimes. Yeah. Um, we're sending you strength. Um, go listen to the funny episodes of our show, not the, not the mean ones. Yeah. Sometimes I feel bad. I'm like, but I was having a hard time. Maybe don't listen. Yeah. Um, Come back plenty, to this one. Come back to this fine. one. Plenty of it's fine. Oh, yeah. Um, we love you. Uh, send us a note uh, at imhorrifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Send us, send us your scaries. Send us your sillies. Yes. Send us your stories. Um, and until next week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.